Hi, I'm Jen, and today I am gardening out loud. Thank you for joining me in the garden today. It is Tuesday, May 23rd. It's about 7 a.m. I'm recording later in the week than I usually do because, like many people, I was away for the weekend, visiting my parents a bit north. And it's always lovely to get away, but it's also always a little eye-opening to come back to the garden after a few days and see how much has changed. I've talked about how much can change day by day, and so a few days really offers a chance at perspective. It also is really tempting after an absence to see all of that change as a big to-do list. I am particularly guilty of this behavior as a list-inclined person. But then the garden becomes a source of stress instead of a source of beauty and restoration. And so I am very much trying to resist making a giant to-do list in my head. And so let's just walk around and see what's changed, what's here to appreciate. It is the beginning of what I call the purple season in the garden. And that is announced this year by the alliums opening. Alliums are those kind of lollipop-like flowers, a sphere on top of a stick, They're usually purple and white. And I love them. I think they're so whimsical and playful. And I grow several in the garden. The bearded irises are soon to follow them, and mine are purple. And I can see just the beginning of petals emerging from the buds. I'm really excited to see these irises blooming this year because last year the bed was way too crowded, and so I pulled everything out and divided and gave away two-thirds of the plants and just put some back in because they weren't blooming as well anymore. It was just too crowded. And so I put them back in and I'm really happy to see them blooming. I wasn't sure if I was going to lose a year as they kind of resettled, but irises are quite vigorous. They are quite adaptable. The main key with them is that they get lots of sun and that the um, tuber rhizome bit that they're plants grow out of is at the surface so that it gets sun directly on it to really bake that heat in. That's what they love. They are heat lovers. And so welcome irises. Soon the chive flowers are going to go too. They're budding. They will add to the purple. The violets are still here in shady places. They're bringing their own purple. And also there is of course the creeping Charlie which makes little purple flowers which I've only learned recently um, could be eaten, but generally this is considered a weed, but 
you know, as we've talked about before, that's a category that contains multitudes and contains many useful plants. And I don't mind a little bit romping around. What else is happening? Okay, so I can see that the parsley has gotten a lot taller while I was gone. It's getting ready to go to seed, and we've talked about before that that's a biennial. So it sets seed in its second year. And I can still eat it. There's still tons of food here in these parsley plants. But I will also let it make seed because I love to save seed. I love to exchange seed. There's so much bounty in this plant that is bolting right now. Same with the kale. The kale has put on a lot of yellow flowers and these are loved by pollinators. Um, but also they're good in salads. You can eat those flowers. And I also eat the little baby leaves that the kale puts on at this time. They can be a little bit more bitter, but I like to fill out my salads and those are a nutritious way to do it. Speaking of salads, I do, this year I tried doing a cut and come again salad box. So I put kind of a mixed salad in half the box, let that go a couple weeks, and then I put seed in the other side. The idea being that the first side will come and I can cut it, cut down for a little salad. And then while that recovers, and hopefully I'll be able to cut again, I'll cut from the other side. And those have been just tasty little morsels. It's been a great experiment. It's actually just in a pretty shallow, maybe only six, seven inches deep uh, old grape box that I found at the side of the road. And so love having that up on the fire escape, even if that means that the baby raccoons occasionally are going to mess with it. But you know, baby raccoons are going to baby raccoon. I planted all my tomatoes at the end of last week on Thursday and they seem to be doing well. Same with the basils which went in with them. I plant the basils in and underneath them because the basils like a little shade and the tomato leaves will very soon be providing that. The tomatoes all if you're here you could see have little toilet paper tube collars around them just um, tucked into the soil around their base and this helps prevent the dreaded cutworm from coming over and doing what its name says, which is cutting that plant down right at the surface, which is devastating, especially if you have been shepherding these little babies in your closet for six weeks, say for example, and then along comes a little grub type thing and just cuts it all down. I also put the dahlia tubers in and that looks like a whole lot of nothing right now because I didn't start any ahead of time, but that's fine. You know, I only have limited capacity in my indoor growing space and there's certainly not room for dahlias. And so they have to just go straight from tuber, but that's all right. They will do great. And I think this year I put in 16 dahlia plants, <laughs> which is the most ever I started dahlias maybe four years ago with one maybe five years ago with one and this is where we are now and if I had more space you better believe I would grow more dahlias because there are endless varieties to enjoy
I did, like many Canadians, go to the garden centers this weekend. It's tradition. It's fun. And came back with just a couple of things, but one of which was a very exciting find. We were at the Canadian Tire Garden Center, and I happened to clap eyes upon the distinctive dark green square base of a David Austin Rose. And Atika talked about David Austin Roses and having one in her garden. And this is a very famous rose breeding company that specializes in what they would call garden roses, but these are often old style roses and they often have many petals. So the roses can look a little bit like a peony in that these many layers of petals. They also generally, or maybe entirely, I'm not sure, have scent, which a lot of modern roses don't. You may have noticed that with ones that you buy from florists, for example, that they don't have scent anymore, which is kind of tragic because the scent of roses is, to me, a big part of their beauty. Anyway, I adore David Huston roses, and this is partially, I am sure, some kind of colonial conditioning, some sort of watching too much British gardening program. But I also think that they are just stunners. And I grow <laughs> four already, um, but they tend to be an indulgence. They tend to be quite pricey to buy. They can be $80 at my local garden center. And there's also no guarantee that they will survive year to year, although I try to buy ones that are hardy to this owner below. But anyway, we're at the Canadian Tire. I see the dark two of the dark green square boxes and hustle over and discover there are two roses left, two beautiful cup-shaped pale pink climbing roses, and they are $35 instead of 80 and so we popped those right into the cart, and I have taken one home with me here to Toronto. And the rose is called the Generous Gardener. And I love that name because I strive to be a generous gardener. And I think that there is, in fact, no better model for generosity than the garden. The garden makes so much more than it needs. Any plant, generally, makes a surplus of seed, a surplus of leaves, of flowers, of bounty, of tubers. And that is why, in part, I'm obsessed with seeds. Because it, the math of seeds is exponential. One tomato seed for one, we'll make one plant, but that makes maybe a thousand seeds, probably more, potentially a thousand more tomato plants. And the garden is such a great reminder to share. For me, generosity takes practice. <laughs> I was an only child for a long time, not accustomed to sharing, not a fan, but it has been a goal in my adulthood specifically, I'd say maybe the last seven, eight years, at least, to, to become more generous. And 
the garden offers the best practice in that. So I'm really glad to have a rose that reminds me to be a generous gardener. And in fact, some of the, I brought back this rose, but I also brought back some properly root washed uh, garlic chives that I dug out of the parents' garden to share with the community. Last night I pulled up a little mint by the roots because <laughs> I needed to thin out an area and those I'll also offer to the community to replant um, should they want that. And so even as this plant comes in, this emblem of generosity, other plants will be going out. And that seems to me to be a way that the garden can work and the garden community can work so well. I also brought home a ton of comfrey leaves because comfrey, which is um, a deep rooted plant with large leaves and kind of pendulous blue, pink, purpley flowers was traditionally used as a medicinal plant. It was something that people made poultices of. You should never eat it. <laughs> um, and even I would say poulticing is maybe not totally advised now. But because it has this really deep taproot, it accumulates a lot of nutrients and brings them up. And so comfrey leaves are often used to make a tea, which is uh, a nice way of saying a really smelly fermented potion of the leaves that you can pour around the root area of plants. You can also just cut down the, the leaves off and use them as a mulch around your plants and eventually that will release some of those nutrients in the soil. Or if you're growing in pots, you can put some comfrey leaves at the bottom. And again, that's a way for the nutrients to be released slowly over time without the stinky potion. So I'm going to make the stinky potion. And um, in my parents' garden, there was a lot of comfrey kind of around the margins that had obviously seeded itself and was not necessarily something we wanted to let keep romping about as useful as it is. And so I chopped the leaves of a lot of that. And I also dug up one plant and brought those back. And so I have a whole sack of comfrey leaves and I'm going to make that smelly tea with those. And also who knows, maybe use some as mulch, TBD, but a really useful plant for the garden. Just one that it tends to be a little badly behaved. I do have a small patch of it myself, but uh, there were so many plants to be kept in check. So I thought I might as well cut some down from there as well. There is a kind of comfrey that there's one variety that produces sterile seeds so it doesn't seed itself. If you wanted to grow it but you wanted a more well-behaved plant that's a definite option. You can buy um, a rooted version of that because of course you can't buy seeds because the seeds don't work. Well I think that's enough from me and from the garden today. I hope that you too had a plentiful <laughs> Victoria Day weekend and that if you maybe couldn't spend as much time with it as you would have liked, that you can return giving yourself and the garden some grace 
avoiding turning this incredible space and experience into one of many to-do lists. And I will do my best to keep that resolution too. I will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening.